0: Bridge Toll California Customer Service Number Highway Miles to the Gallon Ford Focus Highland Cave Rescue Operation
1: What is Schema F Best Wine Bars in San Carlos California
0: Best Western Hotels How old is Ronaldo What happened with Big a Good engagement How long give? before a wedding should I send out save the date How many games the dates? Are in the first series Use of the IMAP the NBA to Check find email on other that's email that's clients that's Identify that's fonts that's from where to find Hobby Welcome to the voice.
1: And today we're going to hear about the relationship between ux and seo joining me is kyle eng who is the director of seo and growth marketing at red ventures which is a diverse portfolio of businesses and brands that help millions of people make life's most important decisions red ventures has dozens of companies and nimble businesses and teams that focus on raising the bar giving back and challenging what's possible today Kyle and I are going to discuss building an SEO-powered UX strategy.
0: This podcast is also sponsored by Ahrefs. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no costs? Sounds too good to be true? Well, it's not. Because my friends at Ahrefs just launched Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. dot com slash A-W-T.
1: Okay, here's my conversation with Kyle Eng, the Director of SEO and Growth Marketing at Red Ventures. Kyle, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me, Jordan. Really excited about this topic.
1: Likewise. I'd love to dive into this topic. It's a very important topic for a lot of SEOs, and I think that UX is often a forgotten component. There's so much emphasis on technical elements. There's so much emphasis on content elements, but UX is often forgotten. So When we talk about a UX powered SEO strategy, what do you mean by that? And what is kind of your general concept behind that?
2: UX to me is really about how can we provide the consumer the most effective way of getting what they want from just a user intent standpoint. Here's what I mean by that. We think about a page. We think about a keyword that's pretty straightforward, like that's running shoes. From a content standpoint, I I think SEO was called within the past 10 years have really meticulously defined what that looks like. You have a strong H1, you make sure it's keyword rich, you have supported content, you internally link to that content. I feel like most successful SEO sites have mastered that. The layer deeper is how are you gonna provide that content and how are you gonna connect to the consumer to a material product in that space that isn't business oriented? That's what I mean by user intent and and user experience is ultimately understanding, one, what are consumers searching for, and two, what are our partners searching for, and hopefully connecting them in a cohesive way that provides the consumer in whatever user journey that they're in a convenient and effective way to search for that product.
1: Yeah, when we think about that output based on the user, right, and based on the lens of the, let's call it for lack of better terminology, the consumer of the content or information on the page. What comes to mind as the most important elements to control in this ux concept or topic
2: i would probably break it out by the intangibles and then the areas that you're learning you're wanting to learn more about the consumer so let's start with the intangibles the intangibles to me are the things that we already know about the consumer two good examples of this are device type and then where they are assuming of course that they're able to show their ip address Device type is something that I think is something we're going to get as SEOs a lot more intentional about. The way that device type is approached now from an SEO standpoint is, hey, don't break the rules and whatever is on desktop, match that on mobile with you know, relative variance. What I think it needs to shift to is, hey, provide the experience that's best for desktop and provide the experience that's best for mobile two experiences that are materially different. They have to be. If I'm looking for shoes on my phone, it's obviously gonna be really different from on my desktop, much like financial products, which is the space that I'm in is, you know, searching for CD rates on your phone is, is a very different journey than doing that on your desktop. So that's, I think, one intangible. And the other is is your address. We see geostrategy increase more and more for generic terms. So when you're searching for something like car insurance, you're no longer gonna get a brick and mortar in the country, you might, by the way, and that's maybe gonna take up 25% of the share, but What's more important is you're going to get two or three listings that are very specific to your IP address. If you're in San Diego or if you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, you're going to get the listings that are specific to that area. And I think SEO, from a UX standpoint, has to better address that. So providing experiences that are specific to, hey, you're in Charlotte. Well, here is three listings in Charlotte that makes sense to you. Or if you're in San Diego, here is what flood insurance looks like in San Diego. And here is what earthquakes have looked like in the past six months. And then here are the San Diego car insurance carriers those I think are the intangibles. And then as far as the things that make you a real person, your gender, your age, what is your salary band, what's your credit score? These are the things that hopefully we can earn your trust by you giving them to us. And then we can help shape an experience that matches that. So if you're someone coming out of college and you're hoping to apply to grad school, how much money are you willing to spend? How much money are you hoping to get out of it? That is a very different experience than someone who has already devoted two years of, of grad school and is hoping to get a residency. And we provide, hopefully, instances where matching consumers are in their journey based on the intangibles and then the areas that match you as a consumer.
1: This is fascinating. And I think as SEOs and the SEO community, we don't spend enough time really digging into this. And I think it's because we have this principle that UX is this one size fits all, right? You mentioned it with mobile versus desktop. It comes in the same vein when it comes to using user data or insight to serve a more relevant experience, but one size does not fit all, right? And it's just, that's a guaranteed outcome of, for failure in terms of developing an experience on the site. I'm curious to get your perspective on what are some of the easiest intangibles that we can control and in, in terms of making experience more useful for users?
2: I'll first make a comment on your earlier statement. I totally agree. In fact, I was listening to either a podcast or I was reading an article. There's a phrase that I love to use and I get made fun of it for a lot within the Red Ventures walls. Well,
1: that happens to all
2: SEOs, right?
1: <laughs> you get made fun of for a lot of things. <laughs> That's right.
2: And it's called NORA, which stands for no one right answer. And there are so many keywords that have that approach where you're trying to create a base experience that captures 99% of the audience But in reality, you're going to capture 70%, best case scenario, and you have to be okay with that. Or you challenge the assumptions of SEO, which hopefully this podcast helps to provide, and you give consumers varying levels of experiences based on the no right answer philosophy that someone is searching on their phone in San Diego or someone is searching on their desktop in Austin, Texas. Two very different approaches that hopefully we can invest more in as SEO evolves. And by the way, I think part of that is Google investing more in AI acknowledges that experiences no longer have to be base and static. Rather, we can start challenging, not today, in my opinion, but maybe a year or two from now, via AI, a safe and technically sound way that we can match consumers in the varying stages that they are. Now, to your question of intangibles, the things that I think we can take bigger risks on are one, device that we talked about. A second is the location. And I think a third in which I actually think a lot of sites don't do a great job of this is acknowledging where you are from a seasonal standpoint. We're recording this a, a couple of days after Black Friday. I think the websites that make the biggest sales do this incredibly well. They tell you, hey, the, this is 30% off. There's a little bit of heightened urgency around it, if you will. And it acknowledges this. It's a simple and very explicit example of how a site uses seasonality to help shape what the narrative looks like. To prove my point, in in 30 days from now, they're not going to put the Cyber Monday banner. But this also extends to more complex areas, like I mentioned earlier, car insurance, where what does flood season look like? And and what if you're in it? How does that shape the experience based on what you're currently seeing? These are the intangibles that are always going to happen every year. Floods are going to happen always around the the May to June timeframe. And that applies very specifically to one industry, but you're going to see a lot of that. I'm in the education space now higher education space now what does that look like for when people are searching someone searching in the january time frame is going to be materially different than someone searching in the june time frame perhaps at the 12th hour so how you shape those experiences based on seasonality and you get to define what seasonality looks like particular to your industry it's going to help shape some of those intangibles and i think there's a handful more but i think those are the biggest three that matter the most
1: I agree with you 100, and there's a ton of nuggets there, Kyle, that you're you're dropping in terms of leveraging seasonality, leveraging experience-based messaging. So messaging around you know Black Friday or, or certain events that take place, and I find that really interesting from a couple of different lenses. The first lens being that you know as you create better messaging in your experiences, you're able to improve engagement. You're able to improve retention of that user throughout the experience. When you're able to identify seasonality and connect seasonality with consumers, you're able to create empathy and create connection with a user that's far deeper because that journey at that particular moment in time is more relevant and more suitable to that consumer of the content information. And I want to bring up a maybe challenging topic because as SEOs, what we've done historically to solve for a lot of these situations. Is we've created new pages and we've done it in abundance. And I'm using that word cautiously.
2: (laughs) Saying it politically
1: is what you're saying. (laughs) Right, exactly, Kyle. And I mean, you know, instead of us enhancing what we have, we just decide to hell with it. We're just going to build a new page. And so, how do you balance that, Kyle? How do you think about is this a new page experience? Is improving what we have? Where do you invest? when you're thinking about maintaining that UX strategy?
2: It's important to start with why has that new page strategy worked previously? And the reason is quite simple, and that is you go based off of the keywords that you're trying to maximize, and if the keywords that you're trying to maximize justify a new page based on the competitors that you're seeing, you create that new page, meaning the page that you currently have, if it cannot rank on this new keyword because the competitors have a very niche page on that new keyword, then you do that. So I agree with you, Jordan, that it has worked in the past. Where I challenge that is the same reason why I bring up UX in the first place, which is starting from what consumers want. What I hope is ultimately Google recognizes that a page can include more about one, more than one topic. So let me give you an example. We're talking about the, the keyword that is best racing shoes, where you have a pretty one-dimensional product that you're trying to sell, What if you have a more of a Nora type keyword? So that what I acknowledged earlier is no one right answer. Something like car insurance, where you're having a consumer who is looking for, well, maybe they're looking for the definition of car insurance. Maybe they're looking for car insurance in their area, or maybe they're understanding how car insurance works so that they can help get a better car insurance than they currently have. These are such materially different experiences. And right now, the way that SEO strategy works is you create a different page for everything. Now, the hope is we would start more product-oriented, meaning what does it make sense for a consumer to see and how can you hold their hand throughout that journey? And I think there's a one word that we as SEOs shy away from for the sake of profit, for the sake of how we hope to maximize near-term returns, and that is patience. I think SEOs in general need to acknowledge patience in a more long-term sense because that is going to what allows us to build a lot of those new page philosophy, or or rather, how can we can avoid that? Because in building similar experiences or in building diverse experiences within one page, you're maximizing the user intent, but you ultimately run the risk of, well, hey, well, am I going to rank on that keyword that another competitor seems to create a new page for? The hope is no. The hope is Google is going to live by their word, and they're going to penalize a site that creates a seemingly duplicative page that answers a very similar question. And it makes sense to the consumer based on the complex user journey to make that one seamless experience. Now to live by that, again, you have to have that one word patience, which as SEOs, it's hard to live by. And and that instant gratification that you get from the new page oftentimes overwhelms that idea of patience.
0: Time for a one minute break to hear from our sponsor, Previsible. So you're looking for SEO help and you got a couple of options. That's previsible, P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O.
1: No doubt. And I also think that it, it overshadows the importance of building in experiences that matter, right? Back to your car loan example, you know, there are calculators, but then there's also informational panels. There are also FAQs that are relevant to consumers. And all of those different experiences serve a different user, and that's hard. That's the hardest part about UX is that you have to find that balance there.
2: We ultimately have to challenge what the word transaction means. Transaction means in a very definitive sense, connecting consumers to our partners, which ultimately rings the cash register. When in a lot of ways, transaction can mean giving a consumer more information. And the hope is, Jordan, your word's not mine. They come back to our site and you gain that trust. So maybe a transaction is they get to read the FAQ and we call it a win because this consumer, that's all that they want is to learn that the FAQ, whereas that's why I love that you use the word patience is the person who reads the FAQ will not transact the way that the business wants them to in ringing the cash register, but they will, or hopefully they will in six months when they have more assurance of, of the content that they have. That's why I think user intent or user experience rather is such an evolving topic because we get to challenge what the word transaction means. We get to challenge what the word patience means. And that is an evolving notion of SEO that changed from five years ago to how we thought about Panda and how we thought a lot about the algorithm that completely shaped the space to the reviews algo updates that we see now that are getting inching and inching closer to this idea of evolving dynamic.
1: No doubt, and so I wanna transition the conversation to the implementation of a UX strategy, right? And I think this is where things get really dicey for SEOs, right, is you may have a strategic outlook or a possible determined output for a user through user research or or studies you've done or even competitive intelligence often can answer many of these questions and tell us that, boy, for this car loan page, we really need to have a calculator or we really need to have FAQs depending on the user intent and and, and desired outcome in terms of the keyword rankings we want. But doing that work gets very complicated. Often it gets even more complicated when you're in in in-house roles like yourself Because you've got multiple stakeholders who want
2: to put in their two cents (laughs) on this experience. (laughs) SEO doesn't get to determine everything. That's that's just such a surprising thought.
1: (laughs) Isn't it? (laughs) It's remarkable that we don't get to do what we want all the time. But how do you navigate that, Kyle? How do you first take these concepts that we want to implement and then organize them in a way that gets buy-in across these different stakeholders?
2: I'll give you three answers. And I have thought about this one particular conversation so much over the past month. The first is it's all dependent on risk appetite. If you are a billion dollar business and you think that your current experience as successful as it currently is, does not answer the user and you think you need to change completely the different experience to maximize that bet, if you will, you're making a big bet. And chances are you're not gonna get the outcome because the risk is too high. Now, if you're a growing business and you think, hey, we're not going to lose a lot by changing everything, do it. SEO is inherently free. So there's a lot of risks to be made, and, and it's only a matter of how risk appetite you are. The second is a philosophy that I'll actually give a plug to my previous mentor and manager. His name's Phil Elias. He's he's an incredible SEO, and I, I would suggest everyone here to, to learn more about Phil. Is He's coined a phrase to me that I love, which is, where can we take Data uninformed leaps of faith. Where can we say we don't have the case study for? We don't have the data behind because we have yet to conduct this study. When can we do something because we know the consumer needs it? Or we know that the consumer, from a behavioral standpoint, this is almost like a no duh type of comment. If we overanalyze and over index every decision, we're just going to have decision paralysis where you're going to have to spend 60% of the time analyzing a decision that takes 20% of the time to actually implement and learn from and then call the test on. So I think there's this idea of where can you just take risks? Where can you be comfortable not having data, but a hypothesis behind? And where can you be okay with it? Third point is I think probably the most important, Jordan, and it acknowledges the buy-in piece, which is I actually don't love to refer to myself as an SEO. As contrary as that sounds, what I like to refer to myself as is an organic marketer. And that's what we're all trying to do. I think words matter, and I think the word SEO gives the stereotype of the things that we're doing are trying to maximize this robot, this robot being Google, impression of us. And no part of that conversation have we talked about this, and that is, I think, the beauty of this conversation, is if we change the narrative from we're doing this for SEO to we're doing this for the organic journey, that is a narrative that I think everyone can buy behind. Hopefully that is a narrative that everyone at your company, anyone that who's listening to this is one that you're all trying to fulfill. You're not maximizing the user experience for SEO sake. You're maximizing the user experience for consumer sake. And if the product people agree with that, and if the SEO by label people agree with that, if the customer experience people agree with, if everyone at the company agrees with that, this isn't an SEO decision. This is an everyone decision. And that is how you gain that buy-in by making this less of a Google bot conversation and more of a, Hey, we owe it to the consumer to have this decision.
1: I love that. And I agree. I think, you know, a lot of the labels of what we use to, to make these decisions matter, whether it's how you, you jockey or position the concepts and ideas internally and the labels you use to describe these projects, initiatives, tasks, whatever you want to call them. It becomes very important and it becomes very transparent to the rest of the organization what the intentionality of that effort is, the outcome, the expected outcome is, and, and the approach, right? I think you mentioned it with testing and experimenting, the approach often matters here in terms of getting these efforts done. I'd love to close our session out here with just maybe some examples of where you've seen this work well in terms of executing an SEO UX strategy and driving that organic outcome and why those examples really panned out the way
2: you wanted them to? I'll give you one looming example and then I'll give you one specific to, actually one that I'm very proud of my team achieving. The obvious external example is Google Flights. I am obsessed with Google Flights as a platform and it's even more ironic that it comes from the very domain that, we're aiming to please, although to my earlier statement, we're not aiming to please Google, we're we're aiming to please the consumer. Google Flights is, I think, a good example of a platform that is currently amazing and offers the consumer every customization that you want. And then what's even greater than that is it didn't used to do that. Google Flights historically suffered from small information, not a lot of sites to choose from. It was also relatively untrustworthy based on how buggy the experience looked like. But what is awesome about the Google experience now is consumers trust it because of both brand name and also because of you're making the decisions for yourself. Unlike a lot of experiences today, consumers have an immediate sense of aversion because we assume that this site is just trying to steal my information. And Google has masterfully changed that narrative in its branding signals, in the evolution of Google Flights as a product, that what it is trying to provide you is inherently based on the customization that you're providing it. And if more sites would operate under that philosophy, I think that would really maximize the funnel. Now, the internal example I'll give you is one that we operated with a site called Bankrate, and that is how we've evolved an experience in what we call the cheap car insurance landscape. So the cheap car insurance landscape is is exactly what you think of it, where someone searches cheap. Now, inherently, is again the, the power of user intent is you understand, well, when someone searches cheap car insurance versus best car insurance, how are they different? How are they different in terms of what they want and what they're hoping to get? And really within Bankrate, we created an experience that was based upon a hypothesis within cheap that someone who wants cheap wants something quick and urgent, which is exactly what we tailored our experience to, and we saw huge wins from both an SEO standpoint, as well as on-site standpoint in providing that experience. The fact of the matter is there are more research shoppers, people that need more handholding throughout the funnel based on the complexity of the product. And there are people, a lot, people who search cheap, who want immediate products right now, and you can create a completely different experience based on that, that hypothesis alone, in which we've seen and implemented and have seen really great wins as a result of that. So it's a great example at challenging the space. We haven't seen anyone in this space operate under a similar model, and we've seen great wins.
1: Okay, that wraps up this SEO strategy episode on the Voice of Search podcast. Thank you to Kyle Eng from Red Ventures for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with Kyle, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can visit his company website, redventures.com.
0: Okay. Thanks to Jordan Cooney, the founder of Previsible. If you'd like to get in touch with Jordan, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is JT Cooney, That's J-T-K-O-E-N-E. Or you can visit his company's website, which is previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E.io.